Champion of the League, hit World Champion, come and cause an upset, but it didn't go that way. Um, like he said, yeah, mock artist, that's not enough for me. Just being, you know, the man to go the distance, that's not enough for me. I'm here to, you know, to win, be great, be a World Champion and achieve my goals. I'm coming up close second ain't, ain't, ain't good enough for me, but listen, the crowd were entertained. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of I, you know, stuck there to the last round, I fought to the last bell. Um, yeah, I did get hurt in there a couple of times when I stuck in, stuck in there. But at the end of the day, close second was good enough for me. Okay, then, you know, he thought it would be, so he's smiled and said, oh, okay, you're, you're not bad. But then in the fifth round, uh, Ray told me, we're not up. So pushing back and step up the pace. And that's what I've done. I thought, okay, if I'm not up, I'm here to win. I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to come close second. Step up the pace, go. Yeah, you know, fights comes in waves, so there's times I, I backed off and there's times I pushed him back, but I felt I was in the fight. I can't say I felt I won or I felt I lost, I thought I was in the fight, you know. Um, that last school card was a bit wide, I think, what's that last times? I think that's a bit disrespectful, but I was, in, I, I was definitely in the fight. I think I earned his respect. Um, Welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where... I don't even know where to start, at least no one's failed a drug test, right? So that's a step forward for boxing. Just glad that we've had some some good content for a change. And yes, we can complain about this, that, and the third when it comes to all of these fights. And I understand, you know, we're not getting the fights that we thought we'd get and we're not getting the fights that we were promised. But at least we're getting some form of entertainment and we should be grateful for that because it's been a, it's been a rough couple of weeks. And I, I come back to this point. We had Shields versus Marshall, what, four weeks ago? And we're not even talking about it. The, the crowning moment in women's boxing got overshadowed by so much toxicity and the wrong kind of publicity for boxing that it feels good this weekend to just actually talk about fights in the ring and to talk about British boxers going abroad and acquitting themselves well. And that's probably where we should start. So I was always going to start with, with Denzel versus Janabek. And don't ask me to say the surname because I'm still working on it. So if we go back, Denzel basically breaks down Marcus Morrison and stops him in five or six rounds. Part for the course. I think people thought Marcus Morrison would present more challenges. I genuinely thought he was a lamb to the slaughter just because the shots would be too heavy to resist. You can have as much skill as you want, but those shots that Denzel throws, those punches... They'll sap your power line. Don't worry about that, mate. Like, that's like that E-Honda 100-hand slap, mate. I mean, it will knock your power line down to zero if you're not careful. And that's pretty much what happened with Marcus. Now think about it. In the space of, what, eight weeks or so, you've gone from fighting Marcus Morrison to fighting Janabek. Who does that, really? <laughs> Who the hell does that? Um, what's Marcus Morrison? We can obviously, we can say Marcus Morrison is just about British level as a middleweight, right? And I'm not saying that to take shots at him, that's just based on what he's won. Janabek's legit world level. Like, world level. You know, now, is he the most avoided guy in the middleweight division? Who really knows? But he's at that level and he belongs in that company and he's in that discussion based on what he's done so far. And so for Denzel to go from that to preparing to face Janabek with five weeks, essentially, five weeks to prep, but then you've got to knock some of that out because there's traveling and there's acclimatization and this stuff. So on a very limited camp, very, very limited camp, 
you know, having to go from preparing for an orthodox guy to a southpaw guy, and not only just a southpaw guy, a southpaw guy with with a really unique approach to being a southpaw. And at that point there, you're like, well, who am I even going to get for sparring? There's some names that probably should have been used on reflection, but you know what I mean? We're, we're splitting hairs. What I will say is the fact that he, he acquitted himself as well as he did, because remember, guys with more illustrious names than he has, like Rob Brandt, they were stopped. Hassan and Dam, they were stopped. So for Denzel to, to see the 12 out and to see the 12 out with with a fair margin, like, like it wasn't like he was just hanging on to the ropes at the end there. It wasn't. I mean, he realized that maybe he hasn't won the fight and he was just like, all right, let me get to the final belt. But he acquitted himself really, really well. And I'm proud. Everyone knows he's been on this show a few times and like he's always shown that fighting spirit and that fighting heart. And people look and go, well, what happened in that fight? What could he have done better? What could he have done better? Probably nothing. Because like I said, it's five weeks. What you what you need for a fight of that magnitude is probably, probably 10 weeks minimum. Because really, I might have said this before, so if I'm repeating myself, sorry. But when you're fighting someone who is so good at what they do, you need enough decision points. You need to see so many different things that make you go, oh, okay, wow, this is this is hard. And so you need the right sort of sparring partners. And you need sparring partners who who can mimic those decision points. And it's very hard to find in Britain because he has a very unusual style. Shannon Beck has a really unusual style. And it's like Pacquiao because they attack moving forward. So there's no there's no getting into position. They just the hands go from wherever they are at that moment. So Janabek can hit you with six shots while he's moving forward, like Manny Pacquiao used to do, right? And so what that does is it panics you because everyone's used to get in, get your shots off, get out. And you can set yourself for that. But with someone like a Janabek, you can't set your feet in defense. You've literally got to be either moving or punching with him. And that's a skill that you learn over time. You can't learn that in a five-week camp. So Janabek was really good at raiding in like that and then finding a way out. And so through doing that, he was able to exploit one of the things that Denzel did, which I think when he watches the fight back, he will realize there are two ways you can defend in boxing as far as I'm concerned. You can defend from open to closed or from closed to open, right? So from open to closed is, uh, who would be a good example of that? Maybe someone like a Ryan Rhodes, where you might, you might use your, your hands, your head, your feet, as your first line of defense. And then if that doesn't work, you cover up, right? That's one approach. Your second approach is to go from close to open. So you start off with the high guard and with the tight guard. And then after the first couple of shots, you can open up because you can more or less predict what's going to come. And then that's when your counters come. So there are two ways you can do it. Now against Janabek, if you go from close to open, he's just going to come down the middle because that's where most of his shots go. So you actually have to end up defending from a close to, well, actually from an open to a closed, and that will force him round the outside and hopefully give you control of the middle. But that's subject to where you put your feet. And that's probably the thing that defined this fight. He was always able to find the outside foot position on Dens, which, look, 
Denzel will learn from that and he'll come back stronger. I don't think Southpaws will pose any threat to him going forward after what he did there. I mean, the the margins were so fine. Like, I want to say this again. Like, There's not much between those guys and people people might come back with, oh, Janibek won that easily. Yeah, but he'd been training for long enough, right? He knew he had that date locked in before Denzel did. So when I look at that fight, really, like, if you were to write down three things that that can be improved and will be improved, it was that that defensive, you know, being able to go from open to close or from close to open and understanding what you need to do when and why. It's establishing that dominant foot position against the southpaw. Because if you notice, there was one point where Jennebeck hits Denzel with a straight left, but he has his right foot behind Denzel's left and actually hooks Denzel's lead leg away when Denzel's trying to retreat. And people thought he had wobbled Denzel with a shot, but he hadn't. It actually looked like he tried to trip him. I'm surprised the referee didn't address that. But that's what happens when you've got dominant foot position. And then the third thing for me is just punch speed. That, that was another big difference. Janibek's punches get from A to B quicker than Denzel's. That's all. If he addresses those three things, he cements himself at world level. I, I think he's in that conversation at world level now, but he cements himself because he'll get those meaningful wins. You could put him in with Murata. I've said this before. You could put him in with a Rob Brandt. You could put him in with Michael Zarafa. You could put him in with a Eubank Jr. I think you can put him in with a Liam Smith. And he's more than competitive. And if they're your kind of main guys who don't have belts at the moment, why wouldn't you put Denzel there? And just park him up and say, when the belts become free, we'll go after them. But he's, he's proof. And I wish people took this lesson. He's proof that if you gamble in your career, you win or you learn. So let's go back three years. There's three years, pre-pandemic, pre-everything, right? If you said Denzel Bentley's an English level middleweight, you wouldn't have been criticized by anybody. If you had said, do you know what? Denzel versus Linus, competitive fight, might give the edge to Linus, you would not have been criticized by anybody. If you said Danny Dignam is miles ahead of Denzel Bentley, you wouldn't have been criticized by anybody. If you had said Denzel would struggle against Anthony Fowler three years ago, you would have been criticized by a single person. Now roll forward three years. He's kind of gone past all of those discussions now. Do I want to see him fight Hamza Shiraz? No, I don't care. He's past that discussion. Hamza Shiraz has to produce a win for us now as fans that makes us elevate him into a Denzel Bentley conversation. I think Eubank Jr. goes into a fight with Denzel Bentley as an equal. It's just my opinion. So how do you manage him going forward? Because he's not going to be cheap to put on anymore. So do you now invest that marketing budget in building Denzel and saying, well, we don't mind if he jumps on Sky and fights Eubank or Liam Smith or they can come on to here? Is that where we need to get to? Because... What I don't want to see is I don't want to see Frank Warren sitting on that IFL interview now talking about, yeah, him against Hams is a good fight. No, it's not. It's not because you kind of rolled out the red carpet for Hamza Shiraz in a way you didn't do for Denzel. Denzel's been a workhorse, four fights in 12 months. 
eight, was it eight fights since the pandemic? Something like that. Denzel's been a workhorse for BT Sport when their prime assets haven't been delivering. Denzel has been. So I'd like to see Frank show some respect to him. And actually what I'd like Frank to say is we don't see Denzel fighting again until April, May, because after the two years he's had, his body needs to heal. Yeah. Never late, never slacks in his training. He just needs to heal. He needs to go and enjoy himself. Maybe you'll see him at Afro Nation this year again. He just needs to go and enjoy himself. Because everything he's got now, he's earned. And he's earned the right way. And he's earned the hard way. He took risks. They put him in uncomfortable positions. Some he won, some he lost, some he drew. But through all of it, he learned and he got better. And we need to reward our young British guys. I'm, I'm so hurt. I'm hurt that he wasn't getting the love he deserves. It's a top-ranked show. Where was the top-ranked publicity for this? Michaela Mayer. Michaela Mayer got more love when she came to the UK that Denzel did going to Vegas. Why was that? Don't they have people doing this job? Where was the PR? Where was the publicity for, for Brit going abroad to try and do what Lloyd Hunnigan did to Donald Curry? Where was that? Where were, where were the boxing experts on Twitter praising Denzel Bentley? Where was all of that love? Because how many times do we hear, ah, oh, these guys just take soft fights? And we're going to come on to a couple of those guys in a second. How many times do we hear about guys and there's always moaning on Twitter, ah, why doesn't he fight someone serious? As soon as Denzel Bentley does it, they all go quiet. This is what promoters realize very early on. They realize that boxing fans don't want competitive fights. Boxing fans just want things to moan about. Denzel's tweets should have thousands of likes and hundreds of retweets and responses saying, mate, you did it the right way. You went, you went as the away fighter against the guy who is generally considered to be one of the best middleweights in the world. And you acquitted yourself better than most expected. Most people thought Denzel would get stopped. I never believed that for a second. But where are all of those people demanding competitive fights? Meanwhile, they're happy to ask like Ricky Hatton. But Denzel doesn't get the same love. Why? You are 40. I don't even know how old Ricky is. 45, 44, whatever he is. And he's just there. I mean, just because he can. And there's Denzel. He's there because he wants a legacy. He wants what Ricky Hatton built. And boxing didn't follow him the way that you'd have thought it would, considering how many tweets you get about the lack of competitive fights or the lack of people challenging themselves. And here you go. He does it, and it's almost crickets, apart from the people who have followed him all the way through. And so I'll come back to this point. This is why generally boxing fans aren't taken seriously. They don't know what they want. And what they get is normally what they deserve. But I'm proud of Denzel. Um, I'd, I, I want to see the growth over the next couple of years because I think he now understands some of the things him and I have talked about. And why they're important. Because of that top level, you can only do two or three things really well. There just isn't the time, there isn't the space, there isn't the opportunity to, 
to be flashy. Yeah. Bread and butter boxing is what wins you world titles and bread and butter boxing is what keeps you at the top. That flashy stuff, nah. Those guys are too good for you to get away with that. And that's probably the biggest lesson he'll learn from this, that you can do a lot with really basic things in boxing. So from the sublime to the absolute ridiculous. So Sunday night. <laughs> Sunday night, does, is it DAZN X that do all of these things? Or is this just DAZN and Mayweather? I have no idea. So DAZN, on pay-per-view, may I add, broadcast Mayweather versus Deji. Right. And then on that is meant to be Tommy Fury, this, that, and the third. Now I'm going to give them credit for something here. They assembled maybe the greatest ensemble cast of just renegades, misfits, and ne'er-do-wells ever assembled. And I love the fact that Lawrence Acoli in all of this is just the voice of reason. Like Lawrence Acoli is the is the calm in, in all of the storm. He's the eye of the hurricane or the tornado, I should say. Because that just looked an absolute mess. But in a good way, because it was entertaining. It, what we had on Sunday night was probably the closest thing you can have between pro boxing and WWE, right? You know, you've got the story lining, you've got the, the, the fights, and yeah, they're choreographed to an extent. But the punches are still real. But... The one person in all of this mess who really understands the game and really understands what's required of him is John Fury. John Fury knows how to go viral. <laughs> I don't know if it's, a, if it's an innate skill or he's had to learn it over time. John Fury knows how to go viral. When John Fury took his T-shirt off, I was surprised there wasn't a logo on there. I was surprised there wasn't like a Foster's or Stella Artois logo on his chest. Because as sure as night followed day, you knew he'd do something. And if he had just got that, <laughs> that sponsorship, he'd be laughing right now. And I've seen people criticize it and say, this is everything that's wrong with boxing. I think this is everything that's right with boxing. They give you something to talk about. As long as the fights in the ring are real, I don't care what happens outside the ring. And that's the bit they need to fix. Because Floyd carried Deji. Deji didn't stand a chance. I don't think Deji could fight in his own backyard. Harsh but true. You don't... Yeah. F Floyd, Floyd could have done what he wanted when he wanted. And he carried that fight for as long as he needed to. And then as soon as it got real, as soon as Floyd started to, to be Floyd, the referee just said, nah, okay, we'll stop it now. No. Tommy Fury can't make weight. Like, what is Tommy? If he wasn't a Fury, he wouldn't be near anything right now. If, if people weren't dangling that Jake Paul fight in front of the public, Tommy Fury would be nowhere right now. He'd be, he'd be selling us elasticated jeans on Boohoo Man. That's what he'd be doing. But like I said, boxing is a sport where the fans have no say in what is produced because fans will just watch it regardless, right? Everyone acts like they're above the lowbrow stuff that happens with these YouTubers and stuff. We all act like we are, but we watch it. And they know we watch it. Come back to my point. You don't take boxing fans seriously because they don't have serious opinions about anything. Look what happened 
When the football club said we're going to do our own Super League, what happened? Football fans showed you they care. When we didn't get Fury Joshua, we just rolled on to the next thing. As boxing fans said, huh? well, what's next? No backbone, no courage. Boxing doesn't attract people with backbone and courage, does it? The people with backbone and courage are in the ring. Everyone else sort of fits in around it. And until that changes, boxing will never change. But I look, I enjoyed watching uh, Jake Paul. I'm not sure. Did he have the Hulkamania t-shirt on? I'm not sure. But he was there. His commentary was, was crazy. I mean, he was just, he was unhinged on commentary. He, he went at John. Tommy did the Tony Bellew thing of, I'm going to pretend I'm going to jump out the ring and then not going to jump out the ring because it's pretty high up. Um, what else happened? Mayweather got cut by Deji, which will be his claim to fame now. That'll be his whole thing. And meanwhile, it just draws attention to the Middle East, right? But we're not going to ask how those buildings were built. Just saying. So what's the future of all of this? Because the, the, this the Zone X thing doesn't seem to stop because we've got... Is it Hasim Rackman Jr. versus Vita Belfort next? Wow. Like, just, just, just... <laughs> Do you remember at the beginning, DAZN was just about boxing, growing their subscriber base through boxing, pay-per-views, dead, this, that, and the third. That was DAZN. Now we've got two DAZN cards that have happened. Yeah, the Mayweather one and this Rackman one, where Hearn's not even involved. Hearn doesn't even promote them. Hearn doesn't even say you guys should watch it. Hearn's just been told, mate, you need to watch your, watch your own empire right now. If ever there's been a demotion, and let's go back to last week where Eddie had to share the limelight with Oscar. And look, if you've got a choice between spending time with Oscar or Eddie, who are you going to spend time with? Oscar every time, right? Because Oscar's the golden boy. He is the real deal. He's a man who's done everything in boxing. As much as Eddie Hearn says he deserves credit, look at Oscar. Oscar's done everything in boxing. And it's just another example of Eddie getting kind of shuffled into this corner where they just wheel him out when they need him for stuff. When they need to get the British fans riled up, they wheel him out. Everything else, they just say, right, mate, stay out of it. I don't know how Eddie Hearn feels about this. Probably throwing his toys out of the pram, judging by, by that Cleveland show. We should probably touch on that. I don't really want to, because <laughs> it, was another, it was another terrible Hearn show in America. So let's talk about this matchroom show in Cleveland. <laughs> you know when you call yourself a global promoter, right? which is Eddie, Eddie Hearn calls himself a global promoter. When you're doing shows in Cleveland, it kind of takes a gloss off that title, right? So doing a show in Cleveland is the equivalent of doing a show in Wolverhampton. Yeah, that's really what it is. That's like a matchroom show in Wolverhampton. Eddie wouldn't even do a next-gen show in Wolverhampton. So he goes to Cleveland and as usual, he wheels in people that he assumes will add some glamour to it. So they get Sky Nicholson in on a jolly, Baumgartner's there on a jolly. And remember, this is the zone subscribers money being burnt on this. Like there was no real purpose having them there. I don't care what anybody tries to say. So you have this show. And on this show, you've got two guys that Hearn, you know, tried to literally lick the rectum off, right? in Montana Love and Khalil Co. Now, Khalil Co is an interesting one because if you go back 
maybe back to 2019, 2018. At 81 kilos in the amateurs, Khalil Ko was the guy. And him and Ben Whitaker, I think, were cool. I don't know if they're friends or not. Someone can confirm that for me. But they were cool. But at the time, Khalil Ko was considered this nailed-on prospect. Oh, this guy, man, there's money in the kid. Even I believe that. Until I started talking to guys in America who were just like, he doesn't spar well against pros. And now you see Khalil Ko's in this kind of career mess. I think he's about five or six fights in. He already had a draw. Um, underwhelming in terms of knockouts and stoppages. Just not looking like the guy people thought he would be. Meanwhile, you know, Ben Whitaker, silver medal, shining and glistening in his own glory. And Ben now looks the most likely of the two to go on and do something. You know, you'd even put someone like Carol Atalma ahead of Khalil Ko. That's been a massive fall from grace. And this is another one on the Hearn list of failed experiments. Does anyone remember Nkosi Solomon? I think he was a cruiserweight guy that they found in New York. And he was meant to be like a, a guy they could set up to fight Okoli further down the line. I think he lost on his debut and that was that for him. Hearn just sort of turned the phone off on him. Ammo Williams seems to be another one. Another failed experiment that Hearn's got. Khalil Coe's drifting into that failed experiment territory. And then you've got Montana Love, who seemed to come out of nowhere. And Eddie Hearn suddenly, I mean, just literally draining the rectum out of him. And so Montana Love fights Stevie Spark, a, a guy you can expect Eddie Hearn to be fully immersed in rectal activities with in the very near future. So this kid, Stevie Spark, didn't know much about him. I think he's Australian. So if he's Australian, probably on a load of stuff he shouldn't be on. Not saying he is, not saying he's not. He might be. And he'll be a workman-like guy. Another Jeff Horn, another Mundine. Just getting punches and bunches. So he floors Montana Love. And you can see that's really bruised his ego. Because Montana Love is like, I'm a better boxer. Remember, this guy's got an amateur win against Erickson Lubin, which isn't anything to write home about but it's also nothing to be ashamed of so come in what round it was around five around six stevie spark holds him which he's, in, he's entitled to do i know it's not in the rules but refs let it happen montana love marches him back to the other side of the ring and throws him over the rope now credit to stevie spark for for nailing the landing actually like you got to give him 9.5 plus a 1.7 degree of difficulty Absolutely landed. It was like a full twisting Yashenko, uh, what you call it, vault. And so Montana Love gets disqualified and he's surprised that he's disqualified. Eddie Hearn, who are you signing? You know, where's Anthony Sims Jr.? This revolving door of American prospects that Hearn believes will take him to the next level. This is an absolute disaster. That Montana Love disgraced himself. He didn't need to do that. Got himself disqualified. You know Eddie's going to feed him to someone now. Eddie's just like, well, how can I make my money back on this guy? You know what I mean? Like, what an absolute waste of time. But what can you say apart from this is what happens when you don't work on talent identification. You spend all your time on IFL, on propaganda, on sitting with those clowns and, you know what I mean, your, your well-rehearsed and scripted responses to things, you know, talking for 50 minutes and telling the fans nothing. 
Meanwhile, everyone else is hoovering up the talent that you're not prepared to pay for. What do you hear every time? We weren't prepared to pay what Sky were prepared to pay. We weren't prepared to pay what Top Rank were prepared to pay. What are you prepared to pay for? You pay for everything else. You pay for Sky Nicholson to fly to America to do nothing. Nothing. You paid for half of your... Jesus Christ, every washed up matchroom fighter of all time who's been loyal to you was flown out to the Middle East. All these people are out there. What was Boasi doing out there? He, he served no purpose out there. Darren Barker served no... None of these guys were needed out there. And they're all on Matchroom's ticket. All the media lot. All on Matchroom's ticket. You couldn't find an extra 100 grand for Ben Whittaker. Huh. <laughs> what? You couldn't find an extra 50 grand for Lauren Price. An extra, extra 30 grand for Karis Artingstall. You couldn't find the money, but you can find the money to fly people out to places they don't belong. There's only so far you can go spending other people's money to buy loyalty. I mean, oh, you, 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 you stayed true to the course. You didn't condemn Connor. Therefore, you can come out to Abu Dhabi, wherever the hell that fight was. What an absolute joke. <clears throat> And it's not just Eddie, Oscar as well, man. All those guys, all those leeches that were there. Just all that nonsense. The hell was Joshua doing there? Do you know what I mean? Like, what was he doing there? Well, technically, he's a shareholder in the company. So I guess he was there just making sure his investment was growing. I mean, what? why? Why do you need to create these jollies for everybody? And meanwhile... The zone struggling as a business and they're laying off people who've got bills and mortgages to pay and you're paying for people who don't have bills and mortgages to be out there. Calzaghi was out there. Who's ever seen Calzaghi in a boxing contest since he retired? What? This is why it's hard to feel sorry for Eddie. Because the money's going to all the wrong things and it wasn't going to the right things like signing Ben Whitaker putting the money up for Daniel Dubois. Putting the money up for Yard to fight Boatsy. Putting the money up for Boatsy to fight Callum Smith, who's now retired, and may he have a great retirement. What a mess. And this is the, this is the man that some of you guys online call the best promoter in the world? He can't even promote himself. That's why they had to pulp most of his books. Where's his podcast? His podcast is nowhere because it doesn't do numbers. You mean those IFL interviews that no one listens to anymore, yet they still seem to do numbers that nothing else in IFL does? You know, I'm tired of talking about those sorts of red flags. All that talking he did and when he had to talk about Real stuff, like people cheating. Oh, he couldn't talk about that. He had to leave that to the experts. But he'll talk about everything else. Unchallenged because the clowns that interview him don't care. Until we get rid of this guy, until we find a way to just marginalize him so he is promoting the guys like Montana Love and, yo, I don't even know, man, Jesse Vargas. Do you know what I mean? Like those sorts of guys, Marcus Brown, you're that sort of second and third tier fighter. 
let's get him doing that and he can keep telling people he's the best promoter in the world. Because right now, man, it's not a good look. And then he came up with that nonsense of, yeah, well, the IBF have, have ordered Usyk to now fight Filip Hergovic. Like he didn't engineer the whole thing from the start. Oh, yeah, let's have these negotiations with Joshua. Let's have everyone focused on this. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, I'm ringing the IBF going, <clears throat> we need a mandatory now, guys. When's the last time you had a WBA mandatory? Remember when Joshua had that belt? I don't think he did one WBA mandatory. All those times Usyk was mandatory and Usyk was like, look, you want to make an undisputed fight? We'll step aside, man. We'll fight someone like a Joe Joyce. All those times people have played ball to make sure Hearn can get the money he wanted. Now all of a sudden he wants to stop other people getting money. But here's the kicker. No one cares about the undisputed fight anymore. Because we know who should be fighting who. There are only three names in the heavyweight division that matter right now. Tyson Fury, Alexander Usyk, Deontay Wilder. Nobody else matters. Do not come back at me with any talk of Joshua or any talk of anybody else. Nobody else matters. So if Usyk vacates at IBF and Hergovic has got to fight someone like an Andy Ruiz for the belt, fantastic. But there'll be no calls for a unification because we don't care about Hergovic. Hergovic looks so bad against the 59-year-old Gilles Zhang. We now know that that was all hype. We, all, we were all fed this Kool-Aid. Oh, Olympic bronze medalist. Yeah, he was unlucky to lose to Yoka. This, that, and the third. Well, we know what happened to Yoka. Yeah? We don't care. We care about three heavyweights. Fury, Usyk, and Wilder. We don't care about anybody else until they prove otherwise. And no, no, still don't care about Joe Joyce yet. Because these three here, they got business to take care of. Let Joe fight Hergovic for the IBF. Why not? I mean, like, there are so many options that could happen. Let Joe fight Hergovic for the IBF and see how quick Hearn runs away from that fight. I keep saying it, say it every year. Hearn's the worst thing for the sport. Horrible for the sport. People say that he did this, he did that. No, he didn't. He's not a great payer. He's not great in terms of opportunities. He does what anyone else would do as a promoter. He gets you into a mandatory position and then you get your title shot. Who else? Who, who the hell doesn't do that? He is just, it's nonsense. And I mean, it's, it's standard. He now realizes that Joshua will never be undisputed. So Hearn's like, well, nobody's going to be undisputed. Not while I'm alive. And I'll do whatever I can to make sure that happens. I didn't even think he promoted Hergovic. I didn't think he promoted Usyk. So I'm like, how are you getting the letter from the IBF? Who the hell are you? Oh, this sport's a mess. And this is all of our fault because we let this clown and, I mean, just get on things like IFL. And, yeah, IFL have a lot to answer for. Their only saving grace is that they've got Uma Ahmed on there. Everyone else is a clown on there. Yeah, I said that. Everyone else is a clown.
It's as simple as that. And I say that because I'm tired of the backbiting. I'm tired of these guys running around in the shadows talking nonsense about me. Yeah? I always make one promise. Everything you hear in your headphones right now are the opinions I'm willing to make public in boxing. I don't talk to anyone else about anything else in boxing. And that's why when I've got a problem with someone, I always say to them, show me the timestamp in the episode. If you can't, then it's gossip. And I don't play that gossip game. Other channels do. Other platforms do. I just haven't got time for it. IFL do. That's what they love. I don't even think they make money off this stuff anymore. I mean, <laughs> don't know what you can smuggle in camera equipment in these, in these days, but whatever. But all that whole edifice, Radio Raheem and this person and that person, that all ass lick Eddie Hearn and they've created this monster that people are too scared to kill, but the monster has to be killed. Because Denzel Bentley fought for a world title before Felix Cash. And Felix Cash is promoted by the global promoter, the best promoter in the world, apparently. The man who should be getting his credit. And Felix Cash hasn't fought for a world title, hasn't come close to fighting for a world title. Hearn doesn't even mention his existence. That's a promoter? Imagine you're signed to him. You don't talk up Craig Richards. You ain't got no plans for Craig. You ain't even got no plans for Boatsy. This is your global promoter. This is the best promoter in the world. This is the guy that you're prepared to wear a Palm Angels t-shirt for just to interview. With some old school added as popper jogging bottoms. This is it. <laughs> Man, when I jump off this professional boxing ship, I will be the happiest person. And this is what I tell everyone. I don't know how many more of these episodes I've got in me. Because I can spend all day training amateurs and young kids and, you know, and enjoy every second of that. And then I've got to sit there and read stuff that happens in boxing. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I mean, we'll have to go back in history and go, we actually allowed this nonsense to happen. And we did it all for the views. All for the views. Can we just switch gears, please? And let's just talk about maybe the oddest card, the strangest card on Saturday from Sky. I don't understand what it was meant to do. It's almost like they won a purse bid for uh, Dalton Smith versus Casey Benjamin and just went, oh God, <laughs> we didn't think we'd win that one. So I guess we've got to do something with this, right? And so you end up with this really bizarre card and it's a card that tells us absolutely nothing. Natasha Jonas won a, I think she won a third belt, right? At 154. But she was always going to win that belt. Uh, you know me, I think Natasha's class... I mean, she's beating up on women. She doesn't even have to be at light middleweight to beat up on these women, which lets you know that she can punch pretty hard. So massive respect to Tasha. So that now means instead of us having Jonas versus Hannah Rankin for that unification, which probably should have been signed, right? On reflection, these guys should have just got that fight out of the way. If Natasha Jonas wants to be undisputed at light middleweight, she has to fight Terry Harper. Now... We all remember what happened after the first fight where, to be honest, I thought Jonas won. I don't know, was it given a draw? But Jonas won that fight. And they said, we want the rematch. And that rematch never happened. 
The global promoter couldn't make the rematch happen. The greatest promoter in the world couldn't make the rematch happen. And there was Tasha literally with the, with the begging bowl. Just any one of your people. Let me fight Taylor again. And the global promoter, the world's greatest promoter, the world's most stylish promoter, the man with the Turkish turban, yeah, the man who is witnessing a greater deforestation than the Amazon right now, him, he didn't give her a crumb. Sky said, we want Miss GB. She's one of our own. And between Sky, Natasha and Joe, they rebuilt her. She's got three belts now. Now Harper's sniffing around. If Joe's got any honor, and I know Joe has got honor, he will never give Harper a sniff. They won't even entertain the fight for a second. I'd love to see Joe just come out on any outlet that's not IFL, by the way, and just say, Terry Harper will never get a shot at Natasha Jonas so long as I'm alive. That's it. That's all I'd say. I'd say she can go elsewhere. She can do whatever she wants. She can have all of her mandatories and her voluntaries. She'll never fight Natasha Jonas because they had the time to do the right thing and they chose not to. And I bet any money you'll see Steffi Ball all up in Twitter now. Ah, oh, Natasha doesn't want the fight. She never wanted it. She's scared of Terry Harper. She knows Terry Harper at this weight is an absolute monster. You'll hear all of that nonsense. The fight won't happen. And I listen, I don't know Natasha like personally, personally, but I can guarantee this. I know, I know the backstory to that family. They're real ones. They know, they know what's real and what's not. So I'd like to see Harper frozen out because that's going to force Harper to have to cut that weight. Yeah? Yeah, she have to get back down to fight those people like Chantal Cameron and Katie Taylor. She have to go back down and wait to fight those people like Sandy Ryan. Or she'd have to go up and wait, which would be even more questions. You know, now that we know you kind of being a bit more militant, maybe we want to start seeing the truth come out in these situations. But I'm happy for Tasha. She's got the three belts. World is an oyster. Who knows how many years she's got left in the game, but I just want to see her in fun and entertaining fights. And I'll keep watching it because I am a Natasha Jonas fan. Yeah, considerably so. Who else was on that fight? Brad Rhea. Is it Brad Rhea? Like Chris Rhea driving home for Christmas? God, I'm going to start singing that. <laughs> Got to start singing that in the next four weeks or so. So he loses to Tyler Denny. I, I can't be mad. Look, that's a trade fight, right? English title fight, Brad Rear versus Tyler Denny. Broadly similar records. I think Denny's probably been in a little bit tougher. But there was a winner and there was a loser. Boxing will move on. I don't think anyone disgraced themselves in that fight. And nor should we criticize anybody. Fraser Clark fights Kamil Sokolowski and I don't know what it is with Fraser Clark. He's a nice guy. He's a fun guy to be around. But he's he's torn, right? I've known Fraser for probably, I don't know how many years, from his amateur days, right? So you're going deep into the early 2010s, right? I don't remember anyone that he's put, he hasn't knocked anyone into orbit ever. He's a big guy who can box. And in his younger days, he could move well as well. 
And that's how he won his fights. He won his fights by being a really good fundamental boxer. As a pro heavyweight, you've got to knock people into orbit. And Sokolowski has to be at least 40 now. So his legs aren't what they were. His stamina ain't what it is. His reflexes ain't what they were. You should be knocking that guy into orbit. And like Fraser Clark's coming in at what, 18, 19 stone? And it's almost like he's caught between two stools, whether he feels he needs to be bigger to generate the power versus would you be better off being smaller and quicker? And I don't know what the answer is, but what I do know is you can't be a guy that's been in the GB setup for a whole decade, by the way. He did a whole decade in GB. And be going to points with Sokolowski. If you're Ben Shalom, if you're Johnny Wish, you're sat there and you're going, that's not our heavyweight. That is not our heavyweight. That's not the guy we're going to wheel out in three years fighting for a world title. It's not him. You can have as many videos of you and Joshua training together, whatever. That's not good. That's not it. And I don't and I don't say that to be horrible. I'm just saying, number one, you haven't got time on your side. Number two, you've got to start knocking people into orbit at some point. Yeah. And I know there was pressure prior to the Sokolowski fight. There was pressure to say, yeah, we need to find out if this Fraser Clark is worth getting behind or not. Right. And that came from the top at Sky. Yeah. Forget all this Olympic stuff. When is he going to be ready for a world title? And the answer was, we don't know. And here you are fighting Sokolowski. I would honestly, and, I, and look, I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here. I know Sky are looking to make roster cuts. Right? They're looking to get rid of some of these guys who have been failed experiments. I'm not going to name names because I think that's disrespectful. But there are a lot of people who were given a year to show that they belong on Sky and they failed to do so. But they're in three fight deals, five fight deals. And they haven't finished yet. But Sky will be looking to jettison a lot of Deadwood pretty quickly. You don't want to be in that pile. So they'll, they'll put Fraser in tough again, hopefully. But then who do you put him in with next? I think you've got to fight a guy like a Nick Campbell. Fight someone who's there to win. They may even just dig up Nick Webb and say, yeah, you could do this. Or... I have a feeling we might see Dave Allen come back. But you're going to have to put Fraser in tough because we need to know quickly, is he British level, is he European level, is he world level? And act accordingly. And I think they feel the same way about Reactport. There, there's a lot of stuff happening at Sky because they've realized that roster ain't cutting it. Some people are, obviously, and you're seeing who they're, they're putting money into. But the others, nah, they're just not believers anymore. And I'm not saying they're going to cut anyone. I'm, no one I'm naming in particular. I'm just saying that this is a time to prove your worth on that platform if you want to stay. But in terms of Fraser Clark, I don't know. I don't know what level he is, but I know that he should be putting holes in guys like Sokolowski if he wants to make a statement. And I think even he would accept that. He knows boxing well enough to know that's the bare minimum expectation. Um, God, who else was on that card? I have 
no idea who else was on that card. So we've talked about Jonas, we've talked about Fraser Clark. Got to talk about Dalton Smith. So I like Dalton Smith. I think Dalton Smith's good. I think he's at, at the age now where, much like Denzel, I'm like, just put him in. Let him take a loss or two. It doesn't matter. The kid can fight. So put him in in some, some challenging fights. I mean, can, can you boil Ndongo down to 140 and let Dalton Smith have a go on him? You know, who, who can you pull up from 135? You know, these sorts of things. Gamble on him because he can fight. That's for sure. And the longer you have him in with guys like Casey Benjamin who are tough and hungry and we just want to see out the fight, it ain't going to do him any good. Let him jump in with a guy that comes to fight him properly. And I think he'll do a lot more damage. But I'm high on Dalton Smith. I like him. Is he going to stay on Sky? We don't know. The world's greatest promoter, the global promoter, might want to keep someone like a Dalton Smith because he hasn't got many kids like him. Do you know, I almost forgot about Ricky Hatton. <laughs> so, Ricky Hatton has another comeback. And in this comeback, he jumps in with Barrera, who's got to be touching 50 now, right? And none of this made any sense to me because the whole backstory was Ricky Hatton was finding himself getting obese and overweight and he realized he had to change his life and he didn't know how he was going to do it, but he knew if he had one exhibition that would force him to change his lifestyle and yada, 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 sob story here, pull the heartstrings of the public, you know. I can't be mad at Ricky Hatton because I praise Mayweather for draining every penny out of his brand. So I can't really criticize Ricky for doing the same thing. I'd actually rather he did it on his own platform and not as part of this, but I don't, in fact, you know, I don't know. Yeah, this is one of these times, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear me think out loud, right? I am thinking out loud at the moment. Do you benefit from being on a Ricky Hatton show, even if it's an exhibition? I think you probably do. But do I want to see Ricky Hatton doing this? No. But then what makes Ricky different from Floyd? And maybe what it is, is that Floyd never looks out of shape. You get the impression Floyd trains every day. You know, and yes, Floyd looked jittery and jerky and his legs didn't look great against Deji. And, you know, when you're old, the first thing to go will always be the legs. But Mayweather looks like he lives the life and always has done. Ricky doesn't. Ricky looks like a guy that's done a load of kebabs, a load of pints, a load of lines. That's what he looks like. And my worry is after this fight, Ricky will just go straight back on it and then we'll get another sob story about how he needs to overcome some demon or other. And it's like, mate, just stop. Mate, stop. You know, be Ricky Hatton. Be that guy that people want to have a beer with. But you've got to decide who you are. Are you Ricky Hatton, the athlete, or are you Ricky Hatton, the man, the man next door? And he's, I guess he's always had that dilemma in his career, hasn't he? And he paid a heavy price for it because could he have been better? Probably. And I think this is true for a lot of British boxers. They don't know which side to play. Do you play the monastic Mayweather thing and then risk not selling tickets? Or do you play up to the selling tickets, have a beer in the pub with your mate sort of guy and then not fulfill your potential? Now, I think there's a balance to be struck. 
And I don't think Ricky's hit it. I think Floyd did. And I think a lot of these young guys coming through now are probably on the wrong side of that line. But seeing Ricky Hatton against Barrera, was it a fight? Was it an exhibition? Was it a spa? Was it a move around? We don't know. But what... what it wasn't great to watch. Like I said, Mayweather kind of, Mayweather never really stepped away from the ring. I mean, Ricky has and it showed. Barrera has and it showed. What do you do? I don't know. I know I don't want to see him in the ring again. Now, unless it's like a rival, like Junior Witter. Jump in with Junior Witter, finally, and make that competitive. Let's see that being competitive. But one thing we can say is, for whatever reason, and this is just being said with no context to what I've said before, what I say after, response to drugs varies after you hit 40, man. Like, like it just doesn't deliver the results that it used to deliver in your younger years. And maybe that's when you realise it's time to call it a day. But look... I don't think it's the business of Sky Sports Boxing to be doing exhibitions like that. Put that on Zone X. Why not? Campbell Hatton's on there, so why not do it there? I just, yeah. It, and, and I can't answer the question of why I prefer Floyd to Ricky. I know some people say it's a race thing. It's not a race thing. It is as simple as I don't feel Floyd has ever ignored the sport. I don't feel Floyd has ever let himself go. And so, you know what I mean? I think Ricky has. Like, I'd happily watch Froch do an exhibition because I don't think Froch has let himself go. I'd happily see Clinton Woods do an exhibition. Clinton doesn't look like he's let himself go. That's what I'm saying to you. The guys who haven't let themselves go, I think will just do better at it. The guys who let themselves go, Go back and enjoy that lifestyle that you've always wanted because the in-ring thing just ain't cutting it. Just want to give a quick shout out to Vidal Riley. I thought he had a really good stoppage the other day against Ross McGuigan. I think with him, you've got to put him in with like a Ellis Zorro. Um, who else is kind of at that level? Even a Jordan Thompson, I'd say. But definitely an Ellis Zorro. Uh, who else is a cruiserweight? Mikel Lawal's probably a bit too soon. But someone at that level, yeah, we need we need to be able to to measure him now. You know, McGuigan was what three and one, so not really a fair test. Not not a guy that I'd necessarily want to to base my expectations off. I mean, could we dig up Luke Watkins? Why not? But let's get a fight like that for Vidal Riley. Let's let's start putting him in because like he shouldn't have to learn how to box. Now it's just about getting those those miles on the clock. So happy for him, happy for Russ Gerrard because I think Russ trained him from when he was a, a junior and good to see him still kind of staying in there, man, because I know he gets disillusioned with the sport and stuff. So fantastic from him. Good luck to, good luck to Vidal Riley, but I do want to see him tested at some point. You can't keep coasting and just, you know, enjoy the fact that you're boxing on Sky. On the subject of cruiserweights, what the hell's going on with the Coley and Matchroom? Yeah, I mean, it seems that Lawrence has got some beef with the global promoter, the world's best promoter. And 
I, I sense this frustration, right? Because realistically, Eddie Hearn could have put the money up and had a Cody unify. And that could have been one of the faces of the division. Move up and wait. Bang. You know what I mean? Get him stuck in against whoever. Because I think Lawrence is a factor at heavyweight too. And has Lawrence fought this year? Like we're getting to 12 months without a Cody fighting. And these are his prime years. So what's happening? Is this just a standoff where Lawrence is waiting for the contract to lapse and Eddie's like, well, then you're just going to stay inactive? Because, I mean, the highlight so far is just a Cody sparring Jake Paul. And I feel for Lawrence because Lawrence deserves better than this. There's a guy who, who did it the hard way. They put him in hard. He was fighting people before he was ready and he was still winning. And he survived all the insults and the brickbats about how boring his style is. But he knocks pretty much everyone out. So what more do you want? Remember that they put him in with Askin. They put him in with Chamberlain. They put him in with everyone. And he prevailed. I wish Hearn had the integrity like, like Guardiola does. You know what Guardiola says? Look, if you don't want to be at Man City, cool. We ain't going to force you to stay. And Eddie needs to be like that and go, look, if you don't want to be on match, we ain't going to force you to stay. That's what he used to say. If you don't believe in me, go and find something else. So let him go. Let Okoli go. But no one asks these questions. None of the camera jockeys ask these questions, do they? Because they don't want to upset the world's greatest promoter because then they won't get their trips abroad paid for so they can then go to nightclubs and tell women they're really important because they're grown men asking grown men questions. Woo! Do you know what I mean? Look, I don't trust the police, right? Yeah, and they're, they're the only grown men permitted to ask other grown men questions. Yeah, and there you are in your nightclubs flashing off in your, your, in your T-shirt that's loose on the arms but tight around the belly. And you're there just talking nonsense about how you're this important person in boxing but you ain't doing what the fans want you to do. Why? Meanwhile, you're out there talking nonsense about me, trying to find out dirt about me from other people. Cool, well done. You could just ring me. I'll tell you all the dirt I've done. I'm not ashamed of anything I've done. You're not going to find me sliding in people's DMs who are involved in boxing. There are no DMs between me and Michelle Joy Phelps. There are no DMs between me and anyone else. I'm not that stupid. Been in this game too long. I'm not falling for the traps. So I hope that the Okoli thing gets resolved because Lawrence is a good guy. And he deserves to fulfill his, his talent at cruiserweight and then climb up to heavyweight and make the real money. So, I mean, uh, we're, we're Team Okoli on this side all day, every day. Um, I'm also going to shout out Sonny Edwards. I always promise I'd be fair when I did this podcast. And when I feel you underperform, I want to tell you underperform. When I feel you perform, I want to tell you perform. Sonny Edwards did his thing on Friday. He did what he was supposed to do. Won and he won well. And that was the first time I looked at a Sonny Edwards performance. And I was like, if he jumped in with a guy like Shrisakat, Thor Rungazai, whatever his name is. Or if he jumped in with the Chocolatito, how would he get on? They'd force him to fight and we'd find out if Sonny can really fight. And I'm like, but he'd be competitive in that. That was the first time I was like, I think you just put him in there. He's competitive at that level. Put him in with Bam Rodriguez. He's competitive. And you got to give him credit. Like, he shows that he can do this as he keeps moving up the levels. He can be Sonny Edwards. So now we just want to know at what level can he still be that Sonny Edwards? If it's world level, woo, take your hat off to him. 
So fair play to him. People assume I have an agenda against Sonny Edwards. I really don't, man. I just comment on what I see in boxing. So good luck to him. Onwards and upwards. The real shame is he hasn't got a TV platform. Get him on TV. He's a good talker. He's interesting. He's fun. Why not? Um, thought that video that was being shared around was funny of the of the overweight looking Chippendales guys just walking down to the ring for a scrap. So uh, fair play, man. I mean, it's all fun and games when it comes to boxing, right? <laughs> but last thing I want to touch on is poor old Henry Turner. So look, some random show happens in Dubai that like I, I have no idea who promoted it. It's in a nightclub in Dubai. And they seem to have just hooked in like a load of kind of under the radar British fighters, Raven Chapman, Henry Turner, etc., etc. Louis Lynn was on there. I think he was the main event. So kind of lets you know that they were just like, look, can anybody fight? I'm sure I've got an email in my inbox somewhere asking if I've got a license and if I've got my gloves. So Henry Turner fights a kid called Bermudez. Is it Jorge Bermudez? Like, and this is the risk of having these fights in the Middle East, right? Kids fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. It's okay. Henry Turner's head goes through the rope, right? So he's trapped. Like, his body's in the ring, but his head's outside the ring because he's gone through the ropes. And at that point, the referee's supposed to stop the action and reset, right? Because you're not supposed to get hit when you're outside the ring. Bermudez probably hasn't read the rule book, right? So Bermudez is like, well, he's still on his feet. So Turner's basically trapped in the ropes and he's got his hands over his face, but he's taking clean shots because he can't go anywhere. And the referee is watching, going, oh, this is a damn good fight. Oh, he might stop him real. Oh, and then he's, it's almost like the penny drops. And he's like, shit, I'm the referee. And he jumps in and he breaks it up. I'm like, this is how people get put in comas. And I can understand why Eddie Lamb and Al Smith were bouncing off the walls, man. Like, what kind of... What kind of nonsense is that? And yes, people are chasing the Middle Eastern money, and I understand that, but you can't let the standards slip all for the sake of a payday because somebody's going to get badly hurt. And it's a matter of time. Because you know what happens. When there's money, there's oversupply. When there's oversupply, the standard generally drops until something bad happens, and you've got to regulate it, and the standard goes up, it makes it more expensive and less appealing to be in the country, Right? And that's probably what's going to happen with the Middle East. Can I just finish by talking about the welterweights? So let's go back to the summer where we got the energy or like, yo, we might get Crawford Spence by the end of the year. We're now coming up to the end of the year and we're going to get seemingly Crawford, Avanesian, and at some point we're going to get Spence versus Thurman. I didn't sign up for any of this nonsense, by the way. Like, who cares? Like... I love the fact that Avanesian gets a fight against Crawford, but I didn't want to derail Undisputed for that. Like, I think David Avanesian deserves what he's getting now. I think it's been unfair the way he's been treated and he's been y y yanked and jerked about for, for no real reason other than people wanted to use his name for clout. And so credit to guys like Carl Greaves and Neil Marsh for keeping him level and still getting him the, that payday that he deserves because he is one of the better welterweights out there. But at the expense of Undisputed? Oh, come on, man. No justice in this world. So now we've got those two fights. Meanwhile, Garza, Jerome, Ennis are parked up going, well, what's happening here? You know what I mean? Like, like, for me, just kill off these Undisputed fights. 
Just kill him off. I don't care about someone holding four belts for three minutes. I don't care anymore. Just make the damn fights we want to see, please. No one cares about undisputed. It doesn't mean anything. Like we've had more undisputed fights in the last two years than we probably had in the last 15. It means nothing now because it just reflects how much power one promoter can have in a weight class. That's all it reflects. The best still won't fight the best. You know, we said it earlier about the heavyweights. We already know who the best are. We don't care about the belt. The belts mean nothing. As fans, we need to start saying we don't care about undisputed. Just make that fight. That's it. All of this unification talk and all this sort of stuff. And I'm seeing guys like Lawrence and Sonny get frustrated that they can't unify. And I understand that from a competitive perspective. Yeah. Honestly, as a fan, give me entertaining fights with meaning all day, every day. That's all we ask for. Just give us entertaining fights that mean something. That's all. Denzel versus Janebeck, prime example. I don't care about Undisputed anymore. I just want names. Let's not talk about belts anymore. Let's just talk about names. This person fights that person is what we want to see. Because if they couldn't do it at 147, God help us. You know, undis- yeah, this Undisputed thing means nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let, let, and as fans, let's make sure that promoters understand that we don't care anymore. Because does it even mean you're the best in the division? Like, Canelo's what undisputed at 168, but he didn't fight Benavidez. So who's undisputed where you can tip your hat off? Clarissa Shields being undisputed? Beyond question. Yeah, she's the best middleweight, probably the best light middle, probably the best super middle. If she could, she'd probably be the best welterweight. The winner of Perturbia of Bivol for Undisputed? Beyond doubt. They're the best. The winner of Spence Crawford? The best? Yes. The winner of Usyk versus Fury? Yes. But we'd know that whether they had all the belts or not. That's the harsh reality. You know? We just don't take any of the matchroom undisputed seriously because we know that they, they, they were just cooking the books on those things. But probably a good point to draw a line under it. I didn't think I'd go this long. So all the people who complain about 30-minute episodes, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Old school service resumed. Me just rambling on for ages about stuff. But I hope you enjoyed it. Man. Sorry it's been so long, but not much has happened in boxing. Um, one thing I do want to say, I feel... It's remiss of me not to talk about this if I have the reach that I do. Look, the clocks have gone back. The nights have got darker. We can't just step out and sit in a beer garden and chill. You know, people start to become more homely now, right? And we start to focus in on stuff like families and girlfriends and kind of smaller things. Maybe if you play football or rugby, we're starting to zero in on things. But let's not forget that there are people out there who struggle at times like this. They like to be out doors and they like the vitamin d and the sunshine and all that sort of stuff and if you can reach out and offer some support check in check in on at least two people this week that you haven't messaged for a while just message them and say i hope you're okay mate yeah let's all try and do a little bit more to to help each other because you don't know the impact you'll have from afar man don't don't withhold the effort because you don't think it will make an impact 
let's all try and help each other. And I think it will be obviously remiss of me not to use this platform to say that. Because even the people you think are thriving may be struggling inside and they may just want to talk about stuff and get stuff off their chest. Don't be afraid to offer help. And also, don't be afraid to lean on those around you. Don't suffer in silence. One of the sins of the modern era is we're expected to do everything and to do it on our own with no help. And that's not how we evolved as a society. That's why we have a society. That's why we have community. That's why we have family. Because we need people to help us grow. So don't suffer in silence. And you're not always going to have good days. I don't always have good days. I have bumpy days. I have days when I question stuff. But you wouldn't have great days if you didn't have terrible days, man. Like Life is really about contrasts. If every day was amazing, that would just be normal. And then eventually you'd be like, why is my life so normal? So you've got to know that there are highs and there are lows, but you've got to be able to manage both. You've got to be level-headed in the highs and you've got to be able to manage the lows and you know lean on people and share and look for help and sometimes do it proactively and preventatively. Now, I'm not saying I have all the answers. What I am saying is if we can just do a little bit more to help each other, that just takes some of the pressure off. You know? So let's not withhold our goodwill and our affections and our love. Let's give more of it. Let's, let's be better, especially at times like this, because this is when people find it hard when it gets dark early and you might just be there with season 15 of American Dad and stuff like that. So, yeah, just... Feel free, man. That's the good thing about boxing. Boxing brings the most unusual people together and often they get to help each other. So don't be afraid to be a community. And let's all help each other. And on that note, I am going to tap out and say, guys, thanks very much. And as always, if you enjoyed this, feel free to share and we shall reconvene soon.